So this is, our, this is my youngest daughter, Eliza, our youngest daughter, Eliza. And Eliza just got back late Monday night from Ukraine. She went there on a mission trip. She got to share uh, the gospel through sports. And so do we, Dave, do we have that slideshow? Let's show. She just got a few pictures that we'll go through. And then there's one where there's a, like all the kids out on the field, Dave, and just stop at that particular picture once we get that rolling. So this is Eliza. Everybody say hi, Eliza. Eliza is the most, well, I don't know if she's the most. She's the second probably most introverted person in our family. But, but she loves to talk about the Lord and about sports, and she'll do a fine job. So everybody, this is Eliza May Testor. You want me to stay up here with you? Or you to, yeah, okay, I'll stay up here with you. We, hopefully we'll get the, boom, there we go. Yeah, okay, so, is it, yeah. Yes, I went to Ukraine. Um, our team, we only had six of us. That's the six of us that went. I was the only, like, college-age student and the only single person. All of them are married and, like, have kids and are older. And so, um, just beginning the trip, I already felt like I was not prepared. I was inadequate. Like, the, all these people are so much older and wiser and more experienced. And then... Just leading up to the trip, I posted about this on Facebook, but my dad wanted me to share it. Um, I was really sick for like a week or two before I left, and it wasn't getting better before I left. Um, I had migraines like constantly. Um, I'm pretty sure I had bronchitis, but I never really went to the doctor because I don't know. Um, and so I was just getting really frustrated. I had a lot of people praying for me. Uh, people came over, laid hands on me. I didn't know why I wasn't getting better. I'm like, God, don't you want me to be at my 100%? Don't you want me to, like, be able to share and be able to do my best? And um, knowing, I didn't know any of these people until, like, a month or so before we left. Um, so we had no idea, like, who each other were. Uh, we hadn't really gotten close. I told myself to be praying before the trip. Um, I was going to, like, a month before, I was going to pray every day. And I was doing really good, and then life got busy, and I had stopped praying about it. So I just felt very not prepared. I didn't really know what to expect. Um, and so when we get there, um, the first couple of days were very discouraging. So we had, we split up our group into two different groups. So three of us went to two different camps and the other two went to two other camps. And so we had two camps every day for five days. And what we did was we would do drills with the kids, teach them soccer. Um, then we would have what's called halftime and we would do devotions. Um, and kind of incorporate soccer into the gospel and, like, tell parts of our story with them. And then we would, you know, play the rest of the time, just scrimmage and stuff. And we were supposed to have people from the local churches coming to do the devotion with us. Like, all we were prepared to do was share our testimony and read, like, a little paragraph. And they were supposed to do the rest. And we got there, and no one was there. Like, they didn't show up because in Ukraine where we were, they were very scared to come because they had been threatened by, like, police that if they were to come, something would happen to them. They would be arrested. Um, so they didn't show up. And so we were left, like, we had nothing else to say. Like, our devotion time was, like, five minutes, and then we had nothing else to say. So we were kind of scrambling to find something to tell these kids, like, especially because they can't understand us. I knew no Russian, no Ukrainian, no anything. Um, so it was very frustrating, like, not being able to kind of present it the way that I wanted to and present it the way that I felt like I was supposed to. And so um, also during the week, it was very evident that the enemy was against our team. Um, 
I was there and I was still was sick. Um, my sister went to the hospital to have surgery. Um, two of them got their car stolen while we were there. Like one had a motorcycle, got stolen. One had a car, got stolen. Um, another of the men, his wife was still here and like they were having marriage troubles and so like they were fighting all week. So it's just very evident like the enemy wanted us to be distracted and it kind of worked for a bit. Like we were all very irritable. Um, we were very frustrated. We didn't really know, you know, why were we here? Why, if everything's going wrong, like why did God call us to be here? And so throughout the week, we just kept trying our best. We, um, we started to pray every night, like as a team, we would spend time in prayer, like about lies back at home. We would spend time in prayer about what we were supposed to say to these kids. Um, and so the next couple of days, they were better, but they were still so discouraging. I left every day feeling like I was not doing a good job. Like these kids are probably confused. I'm confusing them. Um, I had the younger kids, so I had from seven to like 12 year olds. And so for the 12 year olds, I wanted to get in depth. I wanted to tell them the difficult parts of my story, but the seven year olds, I was like, they can't handle it. I was like, they're not gonna understand me. So I was struggling really hard. Like every day I felt I was just not presenting it in the right way. I wasn't presenting it perfectly like I had envisioned in my mind. Like I'd practiced it because I get very nervous talking to people and in front of people. So I had practiced in my head like this whole entire thing and I had expectations of what it was gonna be like and it wasn't like that and it, it just made me very frustrated. And so our second camp that we went to in the day, we had, uh, unexpectedly, we had to end it a day early um, because in Ukraine, when there's a wedding on a Saturday, everyone goes like the whole entire village goes. So none of the kids were gonna show up. So they were like, you need to end a day early. So then we were like, okay, crap, like what are we gonna do? Because we still had so much to share. And so it's the last day and our team leader did not tell us he was gonna do this, but he lines them all up. Um, oh, he's like the really short one. Um, but he lines them all up and he was like, I wanna know if any of you wanna give your life to Christ. And no one else knew he was gonna do it. He didn't even think he was gonna do it because we were all so we were just letting the enemy just get to us, and so we weren't going to do it, but he did it anyway. And immediately, I've never felt so uncomfortable. Like, I felt so awkward. All the kids were staring at us, and I was like, none of them are going to raise their hand. Like, none, like, none of them are going to come forward. They probably don't even know, like, why we're here, what we're talking about. I, like, turned around and faced um, one of my other coaches, and he looked even as more uncomfortable as me because he had never been on a mission trip before, and he was just like, we were both very uncomfortable. We didn't want to look. And then all of a sudden, he just starts to smile really big. And he's, like, pointing behind him. He's, like, look, look, look. Like, turn around. And I turn around, and 19 of them were raising their hand. Like, they wanted to come forward and accept Jesus Christ. And so they pulled them forward, and we prayed. Yeah. I don't even, like, I began to, like, I'm not really a huge crier all the time. But I was so overwhelmed. I was just weeping. And all like this, I don't know if he's in this picture. Oh, he's not in this picture. We had a guy, he was like 6'5", 250, huge dude. And he was bawling. Like he, no one even knew what to do. And so we pull him forward and we just start to pray over them. And we had all the way from a seven-year-old to a 17-year-old except Christ that day. And it was like just completely humbling. I don't know. I was, and then I got more frustrated myself because I'm like, why did I let why did I doubt this whole week? Why was I doubting? And why did I not believe that he was going to move? Because, like, we're there and we're doing his work. Like, he's going to do what he's going to do. And it doesn't matter how perfectly I'm doing it. It doesn't matter what I say or how I say it. As long as I'm willing to go and willing to share, like, he's going to use that. Um, and so just that whole experience. And then the next day we went to our other camp 
which was this camp, and 10 kids um, gave their life to Christ. And I don't know the numbers from the rest of our other two camps because this was just our camp. Um, but I have something written down. Sorry, one second. Um, but yeah, so I just had to realize that it's not about me because I feel like so often we make it about ourselves and we make it about what we're doing and, oh, like, I'm here and I'm, I want to save them and I want them to be saved and we just get so caught up in, like, what we're doing and, like, make it about how we look and I made it about how I was feeling. Like, I was uncomfortable and I was scared the whole entire week because I didn't feel like I was doing a good enough job, but it's not about that. Like, I'm not that powerful to save them. I was just willing to go and I'm willing to be uncomfortable for so that he could use me in that way um and so just realizing that if we had let fear stop us from doing that there's no way that those kids would have experienced that that week and so um I'm just very grateful for I know there's a lot of people here that helped support me to go on this trip um grateful for my parents um even though it's you know on a mission trip in Ukraine like I'm taking what I've learned and want to use it while I'm here because there's mission to be done here. There's work to be done here um, in kids' lives here in America and just in our everyday life. And so, yeah. Very good. Remember last week, if you were here, remember I talked to you about my, uh, this uncomfortable feeling I have when someone comes to a restaurant and they're, they're standing there and they're not, they haven't been seated yet. And I start like, I just want to get up and seat them because I don't want them to have to wait. Remember me talking about that? Well, guess what? Last week, last week, we knew Bible school was going to start right after church. We had forgotten that at 11 o'clock, the janitor locks the doors for a couple of reasons. For one, for their security and for ours, so that people can't just walk in off the street. At ele- but, but if you're not here by 11 o'clock, you're late. And you're not getting in. <laughs> Unless someone just happens to be there and to let you in. And as people were blowing up my phone, like, hey Brady, people are trying to get in. That really made me feel uncomfortable because we had people trying to come into church and we couldn't let them in. So we need to, obviously we should have remembered to unlock the door. But so at 11 o'clock is when we locked the door. So Come and make sure you're here on time. Preferably, come a little early. That way we can visit with each other. So, with that said, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 6 today. Don't you like that? The end. I think it's funny. Yeah, that's cute, right? All right. All right. So let's go. When Dave's ready, we're going to go. There we go. Acts chapter 6. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Acts chapter 6. If you have your phone with you, then you have service in here somehow. Like, I don't know, that's it's pretty incredible if you do. Turn, uh, you can turn on to Acts chapter 6. And so, I just want you, I want you to be prepared today. I want you to be prepared to, to just re- ready to receive a lot of information. For one, I thought about, you know what, let's just, we'll just find something out of Acts chapter 6 through 13. Some kind of key point, we'll just focus on that. But, but the problem is, is these chapters kind of set up the rest of the story, the rest of the, the, our history, our, our story about the church, the church that we are a part of, the body of Christ that we are a part of today is, is, is happening right then and right now in, in this particular, these passages of Scripture. There's so much going on that I didn't want to miss out, miss out on, all right? So I want you to be ready to receive this. 
hopefully there'll be some stuff in there that'll inspire you, encourage you. Then you'll figure out why does he have the word gas up there? Like, I know some of you guys especially are making jokes. If you're your middle school boy, you're really making jokes uh, about this. But there's a purpose, there's a reason for this. We'll get to that in just a minute. All right, so I just want you to be ready to go. So you ready? are you ready to learn? Everybody say yes. Yes, so you're ready to learn, right? You're here, like, just put all, all distractions aside. Just put them aside for however long it takes me. As a matter of fact, my watch stopped working. So I don't even know what time it is. Don't even care, all right? And you're like, ooh, I don't even care, all right? Acts chapter 6 through 13, it's going to set up the rest of the story. So let's go. So right off, right, off the, right off the bat, just to let you know, so we've been, we've been going through Acts uh, 1 through 5. The church has begun to grow. It's increasing in number. People are, are being healed. People are being set free from demon possession. Uh, people are coming and putting their faith in Christ. It's, the church is growing. It's a beautiful, growing, living organism. And you know what? It's still true today. The church in the world is still growing. People are still putting their faith in Jesus in Ukraine, in other parts of the world, right here in Platte City. People are putting their faith in Jesus, and the kingdom of God is advancing, and it's growing. And so the church is on mission for Jesus. It was on mission then. It's on mission now. And so the church is getting bigger, and they decide, you know what, we've got to choose some people to, to, um, to serve, some people to step up and serve. Back then they were called deacons, and in some churches they're called deacons. In, in the Colin Community Church, we call them our core team. It's a core team of people who, who serve and lead ministries here in the Colin Community Church. And that's our version of, of what a deacon would be. We, we look for the same qualifications. We look for people who, are, who are, have good character and they have good commitment. They're willing to serve and be, be, uh, be on, on task, really, if you will. So they, cho- they chose seven people to serve. One of them was a guy named Stephen. Stephen was full of grace and, of, and power. He had, I put powers, but he had power. And, P, and Stephen preaches this incredible sermon. If you'll look in, this, uh, in chapter 7, you'll see Stephen preaches this, like, this historical uh, review of God's people up to that point. It's an incredible passage of Scripture. You should take some time to read through it if you have time. It was his first sermon and it was his last sermon because his sermon stirred up some trouble. And Stephen ended up being martyred for his faith. They, they say Stephen was the first martyr, but I believe he was the second martyr because Christ was crucified. Christ was martyred for his belief and for his preaching of the truth. And Stephen follows his example. You'll see my, my, uh, my de- definition there of what a martyr is. A person who is killed because of the religious or other beliefs, saints, martyrs, and witnesses to the faith. And at the end of Stephen's life, before he, he closes his eyes and goes to be with the Lord, he says some very familiar words that he must have learned from someone. Does these words sound familiar? He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He knelt down, cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Then he closed his eyes. So where did did he hear this from? Where is this familiar from? It's from Jesus, right? When Jesus was on the cross, Jesus said the same thing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so Stephen, in 
in the example of his, his Savior, Stephen dies the same way because of his beliefs. And he cries out and asks God to not hold their sin against them. I don't know if I could be that guy. I don't know if someone was, was treating me that way, if I would have the same kind of compassion and feeling towards them. I hope that I would. Do you know that people are still being martyred to this day right here in the world that we live in? Maybe not in America. Maybe there's some people being made fun of or being uh, ostracized because of their faith. And maybe you'll see it on Facebook or whatever. But they're not being killed. But in other countries, people literally are laying their life on the line for the advancement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you feel that at all? Well, probably not. We're so far away, right? We don't really internalize that. But yet here we just heard a story about people who were afraid to come to the sports camp because they were told if they come, they might be arrested, so they stayed home. That's a version of persecution, right? And so out of fear, they stayed home. But there are people literally willing to risk it all so that somebody else could hear about the Savior who loved them this much. So it says in chapter 8, in the very beginning of chapter 8, on that day, severe persecution broke out against the church. The church is scattered. But you know what the good news is? So was the gospel. The gospel scattered with the people because you can't take the gospel out of a follower of Jesus. You can remove them from where they're at, but you can't take it out of them. And so wherever they went, it says, they preached the word. It says, so, verse 4 in chapter 8, so those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. I love this. What the enemy intended for evil, God turned it for good. That's a word for all of us in our life, no matter what it is that you're going through right now. He might intend it for evil like it was going on in, her, in, their, in their group or whatever, but God turned it in to good. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. People were healed. People were set free. And there was great joy in that city. In my study, guess what? Guess what I discovered? Guess who had been in this same region before? Oh, a guy named Jesus. A guy named Jesus uh, has a conversation with a woman, a Samaritan woman. Totally not PC. <laughs> you don't have a conversation with a woman in public, especially if you're a Jew and she's a Samaritan. Definitely not heard of. Cross cult. Don't, don't do that. You cross a line. Jesus is there. Jesus has a conversation with this woman. You know what she does? She goes back to her, her, her group, her people, and she tells them about Jesus. And it says they came. And they not only believed because of her testimony, they believed because they heard him themselves. And so that's what was going on in this region. And so Philip comes on top of that to share the Messiah to people who have already heard about it. Some maybe have already put their faith. Some are, are still wrestling with it. And the, and the results are incredible. Philip has this incredible harvest right off of the start. Like he just has to say a few words. And man, people get healed and people come to put their faith in Jesus. And so one of the encouragements that would come from this study is that maybe you, you're laboring in your own home. Maybe you're the only follower of Jesus in your house. 
And you just keep praying, you keep trying to model, you keep trying to serve, and you keep hoping that people will hear and people, something will happen. Maybe you're the only, play, the only kid in your group, in your peer group, that's really walking with Jesus, and you keep trying to share the gospel to your friends and try to model for them what it looks like to serve and love them, and you don't feel like anything's happening. Maybe you just barely have broken ground. Or maybe... That you've labored enough to where a seed, you got a seed planted. You know you started seeing a little bit of difference in your, in your workplace, or the people, your, your peer group, or whatever it is. Maybe you get to be the one that waters the seed. Maybe you come along and you start sharing. You share your story on top of somebody else's story that's already been shared. And all of a sudden people are like, you know what, I've heard this before. This is like the fifth time someone's come and shared this with me this week or this month or whatever. It's starting to make more sense to me. And then you get invited to church, and you show up at church, and you hear something there, or you experience something else that begins to make you kind of wonder, and you start thinking about it. Because we're all at a different place in our walk with the Lord, in our different experiences. And so maybe you'll get to be part of the great harvest. Maybe some other missionaries came to Ukraine, shared the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it wasn't the first time these kids heard about it. And then maybe this was the time when they were ready. And Eliza just got to be a part of the harvest and see it happen. No matter what it is that you're going through, no good work for the gospel or for God is ever lost. So you might think that I'm not really making a difference or it's not really having an impact. I'm just kind of wasting my time. Do you know how many times I felt that way as a youth pastor? As a pastor, you just feel like, you know, does this really make any difference at all? I mean, we're just putting in so much time and effort. Is is it getting through? The ground seems so hard sometimes. But God won't waste your effort. He won't. So verse 26, an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. Now, wouldn't that be nice? Like, you know what, have you ever thought to yourself, you know what, if an angel of the Lord would just come to me and tell me what to do, I'm in. All right? I I would listen. Would you? I would hope so. (laughs) You know, if it was that obvious. So the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip. This was after he had had this experience there with the Samaritan people. And he tells them, he tells him to go. So he says, Philip, I want you to go. This This is where I get this. This is where I get Gotta press it on the gas now. Like when you put it, when you push it on the gas, what happens? You go, right? When you push it on the gas, you go. I heard just uh, just the other day uh, there was someone who pushed it on the gas instead of the brake, and they went they went too fast and ended up running into somebody and damaging their car. So there's a difference between the brake and the gas, right? Y'all got that? Okay, so you're with me. So Philip goes. Because the Spirit told him to go. And he says, go and join the chariot. Go, go to this place. Go to this particular place I want you to go to. And I'm going to use you there. So wherever it is that he's calling you to go, it might be Ukraine. It might just be next door. Uh, it might be across the room. I don't know. He says, go. It says, he says, go and join the chariot. Then when you go, do what Philip did. He gives us a model to follow. He asks good questions. He 
Uh, and not only did he ask good questions, the A could also be used for he, he learned to adapt to whatever the situation was. Wherever he was at that particular moment, he adapted to that and then and took advantage of the opportunity to speak the truth. So the A could be all kinds of things. But ask good questions. Verse 30, he asked the, the Ethiopian, he says, do you understand what you're reading? Simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? And then, I love this, Philip began to share right where he was at. He didn't like, well, let me just go back a little. Let me try to explain. No. Philip just took the opportunity to start to share from right where he was at. It says, Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning with that scripture. And so you might find yourself in a place, in an opportunity that God has placed you in. And you know what? You don't have to go create some kind of new experience or whatever. So I'm just going to run with what I got. I'm going to put on the gas right now. I'm going to go, and I'm going to take this opportunity to share the gospel. Next slide. Chapter 9. This is when... This is when it starts to really get fascinating because you have this guy named Saul who's persecuting the church. He was actually there the day that Stephen was stoned to death. He actually gave approval and held the guy's coats while they were doing it. Hey, man, I'll hold your stuff. Go ahead, man. Take care of this guy. Saul was giving approval to the destruction of those who were following the way, following Jesus. And at that time, he would ask for the names of the people who had crossed over, the ones who were a part of the, the synagogue at the time, the ones who had said that, you know, they had stopped following the Jewish laws and now we're following Jesus. And Paul says, I want to know about him, or Saul at the time. And he would go and have them arrested and placed in jail. I'm sure they were living in fear. But Saul experiences amazing grace. I love this. He once was blind. In more ways than one. He was spiritually blind to the truth of who Christ was. And then he was physically blind because God caused the, some scales, like scales to go over his eyes and he couldn't see. And when you're blind, especially if you've never been blind before, you become dependent. God got his attention. But I love it. After he was given his sight, it wasn't like Paul or Saul at the time decided, you know what, well that was a crazy experience. I really want to take some time to really think, is this Jesus thing all that it's supposed to be? I'm going to take some time, really ease my way into it. No. No, it says immediately in verse 20, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. It's a powerful, powerful statement for him to stand before the synagogues and say, uh, we, we've gotten it all wrong. Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. It says Saul grew stronger in the church had peace at the time and was strengthened. In verse 31, it says, Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the church increased in numbers. Habakkuk 3.2 says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Isn't that a good prayer for us today? Like, remember or revive your work in these years, in our time. Amen. Wouldn't you love to see, I know Brady would, is anybody else with me? Wouldn't you love to see God revive us in such a way that where we become so enamored by him, where we become so in love 
with the Lord that we begin to live in a reverential kind of fear of the Lord, not in like paralyzed, like I can't move, but free so that I can go, so that I can put on the gas and just go and do what it is that he's called us to do. I know most of us want to live that way, but we don't because of one reason, because we're afraid. We're afraid of what other people are going to think about us. I, I deal with this every single time I stand on this stage. I'm afraid of what you're going to think of me. I'm afraid you're not going to like it and you might not come back. Or I'm afraid that you're not going to give and we're not going to be able to keep doing what we're doing. But you know what? I was encouraged today to get over that. To not worry about it. To not live in that kind of fear. I don't have any fear of anybody coming in here and putting a gun to my head and tell me, profess my faith or die. You know what? That would be easier. It would. It'd be easier than living this out every single day. Because I know where I'm going when I die. I do. But I don't know what I'm going to do later on tomorrow. <laughs> I don't. I don't have a clue. And so I have to walk in trust. I have to walk in faith. In your wrath, remember mercy. Oh, man, you know what? The world that we live in, we deserve wrath. I mean, for crying out loud. We're a mess. This world is a mess. People are a mess. We have people who live in this country, and they say they hate it. All right, then just Go. Leave if you don't like this place. But it's not about loving this country. Take it or leave it. It's about loving the one who created us and who created this place. And he's given us this place to live, right? For a purpose. And it's not for us. We're not here for us. If we seem to think that it's all about us, we have missed it. It's reverential fear of the Lord that produces reverential, uh, reverential awe. Of God. My friend sent me this quote this morning as I was thinking about this. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. Oswald Chambers said this. I'll read it again. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear Him, that's when you want to honor Him and live in his presence, and you want to do things that bring honor to him. You fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, then you should fear everything else. And everyone else, for that matter. President Lincoln. This is what was going on in the time that President Lincoln was around. And not much has changed, has it? Our own prosperity as a nation has caused us to forget the Lord. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Next slide. Listen, if that doesn't... If that doesn't cause you to hurt a little bit, then you're in, you're in a good place. But if it stings a little bit, deal with it between you and the Lord. It stings me. It does. Chapter 10. The gospel is for everyone. Can I get an amen? Yeah. The gospel's for you. He's not, he didn't leave us out. He didn't forget about us, even though we weren't 
a part of the original chosen ones. We are grafted in by our faith in Jesus. The gospel comes to all people. Peter and Cornelius both see a vision as they are praying. Two completely opposite people are praying. And God reveals the same thing to them. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Brady sent me this quote today. He had no clue what I was preaching on today. That's the power of prayer when you pray in the Holy Spirit working together. God reveals plans and purposes through prayer. If you want to do something for this church and for this community, it's, it's simple. Just pray more. Just pray more. I tell you, it'll make a difference. Not only did Peter realize he could now have a BLT instead of just an LT. You got to read the story. You got to read the context. God, God told him, you know what? All, all things are okay to eat now. He's like, we were like, yes, finally, freedom to eat bacon. Praise God. A lot of amens there. He also discovered that he could sit and eat it with those who are not like him. That's really the point. Not about the bacon piece. Peter said to them, You know it is forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. Amen. That takes racism and throws it right out the window because there is nobody that you've met that you can't say that God can't reach them. God doesn't love them because he loves me and he loves them too, you know. Verse 34 and 35 says, Now truly I understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. There's that piece of, of reverential awe again. Verse 36, He is the Lord of all. Chapter 11. Peter had to defend his position to the other believers. Like he had to go back and tell his friends, like, hey, man, you know what? The gospel is for everyone. They're like, uh, no way. That, that's unheard of. You're crazy. What? We can eat pigs now and the gospel is for everyone? I, where did you learn this crazy stuff? Well, I learned it from the Holy Spirit. He revealed it to me. In Acts chapter 11, 15 through 8, it says, As I begin to speak, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he's also given to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? When they heard this, they became silent and they glorified God, saying, So then God has given repentance, resulting in life even to the Gentiles. Amen. That's us. And that's when we got grafted in. <laughs> One of the greatest obstacles in the Christian religion ever, that the Christian religion ever overcame was the inveterate, by the way, first time I've ever heard that word, first time I've ever used it in a sermon. <laughs> overcame this inveterate prejudice that possessed the minds of the earliest followers, Charles Spurgeon. They, it, it, how do they wrap their mind around How could they get over that? That's like saying someone who is a... Uh, Chiefs fan could also be a Raiders fan. That's crazy. Craziness. How could it possibly be that this God who created us, whose chosen people, has now allowed his light and his, his salvation to come to those who are not like us? How is that 
possible. Chapter 12. James is martyred and Peter is put in jail. So the peace is over. <laughs> Herod uh, says about that time King Herod attacked some who belonged to the church. He executed James, John's brother, with the sword. And then they had a Peter arrested during the Passover. I love this piece. They put Peter in jail during the Passover. Listen, y'all, God brought people, a million people, out of a country during Passover. Do you think he's going to be worried about one guy in a local jail? So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was praying fervently to God for him. Don't miss this part. We're getting close. Spurgeon's notes. It says, It looked as if the church could do nothing, but they felt they could do everything by prayer. Herod had his sentries of the night to keep watch. He had his soldiers, his, the best of the best, maybe. But the church had its soldiers, too. Let me tell you this. I would take a soldier and put him up against a praying woman any day of the week. You notice how I didn't say a man because we're lazy in prayer for the most part. Not all of you. I'm not calling all of you out. I'm just calling some of you out. But you have a woman, you have a grandmother, you have a mom, you have someone who is passionate about their children, about their grandchildren, and they will pray that guard away. There's something powerful about someone who's committed to prayer. Things change when people pray. We're almost done. Chapter 13. The first missionaries are sent out. That's when Saul becomes Paul. It says in verse 2 and 3, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. Won't even get into that because we don't do a good job about that. Now, maybe we do some intermittent fasting for our health and for diets and those kind of things. But to do away with something for a while so we can press in to receive something greater from the Lord is something we ought to get better at. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, laid hands on them, they sent them out. You know, all through 6 through 13, there's multiple examples of people putting hands and praying for and uh, asking for healing, for uh, an anointing, for a greater measure of, of the Holy Spirit so they could walk in fullness the things God called them to. So they stepped on the gas and they went out. They went out hard for the Lord. And one day, listen to this, one day they went into a church, basically, like this setting. They sat down and they listened to the sermon, okay? And so after the sermon was over, they said, Brothers, if any of you have a word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Now, we don't, we don't practice that here very often. Because if we did, we would all be here for a lot longer. All right? Because, because we get a word of encouragement. We need to figure out ways, though, we can share these words of encouragement with one another. And so in this particular setting, it says, If you have any word of encouragement for the people, you can speak. Well, you know what? Preacher's going to preach. And Paul shared another mini-sermon, sort of like the one Stephen shared. It was a little bit smaller, but it was straight to the point. Paul, next slide, Paul went straight to the cross. 
He wasn't going to waste any time. He had, a, he had an opportunity. He had a short window of time. And he said, well, I'm going to share with you what matters the most. He goes straight to the cross. He says to them in 13, verse 38 through 39, says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brothers and sisters, that through this man, he's talking about Jesus, forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Everyone who believes is justified through him from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. That, my friends, is a radical statement in that day. It's the radical statement that we would claim that Christ, Jesus Christ, is the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. That's what we say, and that's what we believe. And there are people who will argue with us and tell us that's not true. But that's our claim, and that's Paul's claim here. He says, you are justified through Christ. In 1 Corinthians 1.18, it says, For the word of the, of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is the power of God to those who are being saved. The message of the cross matters. And we can hang our eternity on it. says the following Sabbath, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. You know what? Every single church in this community is waiting for that day. They are. We are. we got plenty of seats. We're waiting for that day. We're waiting for the day when people start fearing the Lord more than they fear everything else around them, and they long to be in the presence of God, and they come. They wait in line. Yeah, we wait in line for all kinds of other things. We wait in line to get into the concert and to the game. That they wait in line to get into the church. They're banging on the doors at 11.05. Let us in. That'll be a good day. The only way that day is going to happen is if people really start to pray. If we pray for that day. And we start living in this incredible fear and in awe of God. Verse 49, the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. We're praying for that day. And the disciples were, were filled with joy, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, Brady, come on up. Justin, you come up too. Stephanie, come up. Trish, come on up. Listen, if today, today if you've just seen more joy if you need to, to have someone pray over you and for you to receive the Holy Spirit to be like, not to be saved. I mean, maybe, well, wait, wait, maybe that's you. Maybe you do need to be saved. Maybe you do need to come up and say, you know what? I need to f confess Christ as my Savior. I'm lost. I don't know Jesus. And I have a completely different fear of God because I'm afraid of what will happen to me if I die. If you have that fear, then don't walk out of here with that same fear. Walk out with faith. Come and pray. 